We're starting a new series today. Guess what we're calling it? Voices. Noises. Thanks a lot. Voices. It's for all of us. And I'll tell you why. Because we've got to make the decision a thousand times a day what we're going to listen to and what we're going to ignore. So I'm going to get us all on the same page. If you will play along nicely with me, please. And simply repeat one simple sentence after me, okay? Are you ready? Who do I listen to? Now, without saying anything out loud, ask yourself why. What authority have you given the voices that you listen to? Why is it that you listen to them over other voices? So we're going to start this series called Voices, and I really mean it when I say it can literally change your life. It can literally change your life if you, if you take what we're going to talk about and how we're going to apply God's Word could literally change your life, but, but it isn't going to change your life if you just simply hear it and you don't do anything. See, hearing and applying God's Word to us, that brings about change. Hearing it and walking away, and eh, nothing is going to be much different after that. So in all fairness, every sermon that's ever preached from this place should be about something that will change our life because God wants us to become who it is that He created us to be. Every message should have sufficient content to challenge our growth. Because just simply listening and agreeing to a message, it really doesn't do anything to grow us as a Christian. You can hear it and you can nod. Yeah, that was good. You can make a note or two. But if you don't do anything with it, if you don't do anything about it, you're really not going to grow. But hearing and doing something initiates the change in us that we all want. See, godly obedience and action begins to move us forward. That's why the New Testament book of James, James says that we are not just to be hearers of the Word, but to be doers of the Word also. We don't just hear God's Word, we do something about what we've heard. That we take the things that God has told us and we put them into practice. So if you're a note-taker, this series ahead that's going to go for the next month and a half is going to be a good one for notes. And I say that because the Apostle Paul was very clear about the importance, the vital importance of our thoughts. Paul talked about it often. See, the way that we think defines what we believe. And what we believe defines what we do. And what we do defines the way that we'll live and that creates the person that we are. And it all begins with our minds. It begins with the thinking. Our thinking defines our actions, defines our character. It defines our belief about what our, ourselves, who we believe that we really are. And it defines how we see and how we relate to other people. So Paul, he uses this kind of language to make sure that we understand it. He calls it a battle. He says that we are in a battle, and the battle isn't against other people. The battle is against the enemy of God, who is the enemy of every believer in Jesus. And here's the thing, the battlefield isn't out there. The battlefield isn't, isn't out there that we fight with weapons that we create in factories. The battleground that Satan declares war on is the battleground to, to, to control your thinking. It is as simple as that. It really is. The battleground that Paul makes sure that we understand is the battleground for your mind. 2 Corinthians chapter 10, starting in verse 3. For though we walk in the flesh, we go through life in this body that we have, 
We're not waging war according to the flesh. We don't wage war the way countries wage war against each other. For the weapons of our warfare are not of the flesh, but have divine power to destroy strongholds. It's the whole armor of God. But we can't just know what it is. We've got to put it into practice. He says, We destroy arguments and every lofty opinion raised against the knowledge of God and take every thought captive to obey Christ. What Satan wants you to do is to ignore or fill something else in the place of your knowledge of God. And what God is telling us to do is to take captive every thought. And that requires effort. And here's what I want you to understand before we even get into this series. Satan is hard at work in your mind. It doesn't make you a bad person. It makes you a person. Satan is working overtime to control your thinking. He wants to control your thoughts to steer you away from God. To separate you from what God says about you. From what God has promised you. From the way that God wants to love and care and provide for you. Satan wants you to misunderstand and ignore all of the truth that God has said about you. And that's the battleground. Satan is a father of lies and what he wants you to do is to believe the lies that he plants in your mind. And where does it come from? It comes from other people. It comes from what we read. It comes from what we consume in television and the media and, and online. He wants to lie through our own thoughts and through the things that we believe. It's because of the junk that we put into our minds. And we all live in the same world. And the junk is all the same. God, on the other hand, simply wants your thoughts filled with Him. And the things that He has said to you and said about you. So be clear about this now. The thoughts and ideas and information and whatever else that you allow into your mind, whatever goes in to your brain becomes the seeds to who you will become. Because your action, your life, your character all begin with your thoughts. That's why for Satan, the battleground doesn't begin with what we do. It begins with what we think we might or should not do. The battleground is in our minds. Proverbs 4.23 says, Keep your heart with all vigilance, for from it flows the springs of life, your life, the life of Jesus through us. When that was written, it was written in Hebrew. And what a Hebrew speaker would have understood, they didn't have the anatomy understanding that we do. They would have understood, Keep your mind with all vigilance, for from your mind flows the springs of your life. Unfortunately, too many of us fill our minds with toxic sludge, not life. Because we choose to live in a world and consume the things of the world that are nothing more than toxic sludge. And so what is it that comes out of our mind? Toxic sludge. And you know how I can prove that to you very quickly? Your own sin, my own sin. The things that we do that are against the will of God begin in our thoughts. And those thoughts don't come from nowhere. They come from the world around us. And so when toxic sludge comes in, the only thing that is ever going to come out is more toxic sludge. So not only does the Bible tell us to be mindful of our thoughts, but as it turns out, science does too. Another example of scientific knowledge catching up with biblical wisdom. And here's what science says. There are two predominant chemicals in your brain, and your body produces them all the time. But it isn't that we don't have some say in those two chemicals. 
One of them is a chemical called cortisol. And what cortisol does is it puts our brain on high alert. And it's there because it's a fight or flight. If something goes wrong, if you need to be afraid, if there's a potential danger, if there's something very negative that causes your heart to beat fast, cortisol floods your mind. The problem is your mind likes it. Your mind likes the thoughts. It likes the activity that cortisol releases. But there's another drug. There's another chemical in your brain. And your brain produces it as well, but it has a very different effect. It's called dopamine. Dopamine is released when something feels good. When you get a compliment. When someone pats you on the back and says, nice job. When something says nice about you or someone you care about. When you see something that, that puts your heart or your mind at ease, dopamine is released in your mind. And it isn't as strong a reaction as what cortisol does. See, our brains are naturally drawn to cortisol. And what that means is that our own minds gravitate toward negative, destructive thinking more than the positive stuff. That's why the Bible says we have to work to take captive every thought and to control our negative thinking. Most of us, we worry about stuff that never becomes a reality. Because the cortisol tells our brains, you may not like the thoughts, but the activity is good. It actually feels good to be on high alert. When in fact, if we take captive our thoughts and we fill it with dopamine, then our thinking changes and we calm down and we don't worry. But our brains like the chemical response to all the negative thinking. I can prove this is true. It's very simple. Here you go. You can do something and you can feel pretty good about it. Whatever it is. Maybe you helped someone. Maybe you had to give a presentation at work. Maybe you had to teach somebody how to do something. Ninety-nine people give you a compliment. Say, nice job. boy, a girl. Way to go. That was awesome. I learned something from you. And they all feel kind of good, right? It's kind of like, yeah, all right. I, I did okay. And then there's that one. There's always the one. Ninety-nine compliments. And there's that one person. Because all it takes to be a critic is to have an opinion, right? That critic shows up and they say something negative. And your brain goes, ah, I blew it. And the next day, the only thing you're thinking about, you cannot remember for the life of you anything about those 99 compliments. But you remember the one, don't you? You remember the one. Because you got all kinds of cortisol when that one, and you got the negative flood of stuff in your brain. And all that dopamine that came from all the 99 got completely washed away. That's why Proverbs 4.23 says, Be careful what you think. Because your thoughts run your life. In this series, we're going to focus on a different biblical character every week. Somebody who knew what God wanted from them. In some way that they heard God's voice, they understood what God was looking for or expecting in their lives. And maybe they didn't follow it quite the way that they should have or that they could have. And so we're going to start with Abraham today. And my hope is that every week you're going to be able to identify with these people and how your life in some way is similar to their life. And we know Abraham heard God's voice. It says in the Bible, God spoke to him. He heard it. There was no question. But what we're going to take a look at is what did Abraham do when he heard the voice of God? So in Genesis chapter 12, it starts out like this, because here's the deal. Abraham's thoughts and his actions literally changed not just his life, but changed the course of world history forever. Genesis 12, 1, it says, now the Lord said to Abram, Yahweh, this is God, this is Creator, this is our Heavenly Father, said to Abram, 
It wasn't like he heard it in a dream. It wasn't like he thought maybe that was what he heard blowing in the wind. This is God speaking to Abram. He says, Go from your country and your kindred and your father's house to the land that I will show you. And I will make of you a great nation and I will bless you. And in you all the families of the earth shall be blessed. There's no way in the world that Abram confused that message. That was the voice of God to him directly. Not someone else saying, hey, I think this is what God's saying to you. It was God speaking to Abram. And what a, what a message it was. At this point in his life, some of you aren't going to argue that they are going to argue this isn't so old. But Abraham thought he was too old to have a family. It's all that he and his wife Sarai, at this point in the Bible, they're called Abram and Sarai. We know them as Abraham and Sarah. At this point in his life, Abram and Sarah, Sarah had just wanted kids. That's all they wanted, like everyone did. They wanted a family. They wanted somebody to <coughs> pass things down to. But they didn't have any. And the Bible says that Abram is 75 years old. So we've got to assume that Sarai is something close to that age because the Bible says that, that her years had passed. She wasn't likely to have children anymore. And Abram knew it. He knew that was the case. And yet God says, Abram, I'm not just going to give you a child. I'm going to give you so many that the, are going to be multitudes of your offspring that cover the earth. They're going to be all over the place. Your earth, and the earth is going to be blessed because of you. Now, it's important that we look at this. And, and God didn't say to Abram, Abram, you're 75 years old, but you know what, buddy? I'm going to make you a super dad. Everybody's going to be talking about you. That's not what He says at all. He says, Abram... I'm going to make you the father of generations. He's going to be many, many, many people are going to be a part of his family. And then he says the rest of the earth is going to be blessed because of him. But then God does something else, and he does this with you and I as well. He says, here's the promise. Here's what's going to happen with you, Abram. Now go. And he tells Abram to do something. He says, leave your home, your father's home, leave your kindred, your family behind to the place that God has prepared for him. See, God still does the same thing to us. He, he gives us promises, and then He tells us to do something. And we like the promises. We don't always like the action step. So maybe you're sitting there going, you know what? God has never said anything to me. I've never heard God's voice. There's not a single promise God has ever made. I'm going to share one with you. Jeremiah 29:11. For I know the plans that I have for you, insert your name, plans to prosper you and not to harm you, plans to give you hope and a future. See, God has a plan for your life that's a good plan. God didn't put you on this earth to be miserable. God put you on this earth to be one of His children. And what God has asked us to do is then to live in His will. So now you've heard the voice of God through His Word. So, but like Abram, we, we've got to take a step now. We've got to accept it. Do you want to believe that God has a good plan for your life? Do you want to believe that whatever God has for you tomorrow is better than what you've chosen up to today? If you do, then you've got to submit yourself to His will and you've got to move out of your old way of living into a new life in Jesus as your Savior. What God called Abram to do was to leave his old life behind. It was probably pretty comfortable, but there were no children involved. And God said, here's what I'm going to do with you, Abram, but here's what you need to do. You need to go. You need to leave your family behind. So we do the same thing, but it isn't a blind move. It's a move of faith that Jesus made clear for us. Because what the Bible says is that when we submit our lives to Jesus, we become a new creation. We are not the person that we used to be. But if you don't accept that, if you don't move into that new creation, you find yourself going, my life isn't any different. 
No, because you never allowed it to be any different. So almost immediately after hearing this promise, Abram does what we do, and he starts to ignore the, ignore the voice of God. And he starts to listen to other voices and other ideas, and he starts to consider his own wants and plans and ideas. See, what God said is, leave your kindred, right? Leave your family behind. God was very clear with Abram. Leave your kindred, leave your family, and go to the land that I have planned for you. But in verse 5, Abram is already packing up his wife. That's a good thing. He's packing up his brother's son named Lot. That's not what he's supposed to do. He's supposed to leave his family behind. And he's packing up all the people that they gathered up in Haran. All of which God had told him not to do. And so instead of following God's voice exactly, what Abram does is what you and I do so often. We grab a hold of God's promise. And we start to fashion our own plan for how to get there. God, I'll take your promise. Here's how it's going to happen. Can you relate? If you've ever prayed a prayer and told God how to solve your problem, you've done it. So soon what happens with Abram, because now he's off thinking on his own, they run into some trouble. And he decides, you know, my wife Sarai, she's a little bit older, but she's still a good-looking woman. And I'm afraid that if they see her and they know that I'm her husband, they're going to kill me in order to take her away. So Abram, in this brilliant plan to save his own skin, decides to pass off his wife as his sister. They keep going a little bit further and he's got to part ways with Lot. Part of the family he had taken along that God had told him to leave behind. How come? Because the land that God had brought them to couldn't support them all. This is not a surprise. God knew that. That's why He told him to leave his family behind. But Abram didn't listen to the part he didn't like. He did what he wanted to do. Can you relate? If, we, if, if you followed this one, this series is going to hit close to home. But see, Abram wasn't the first person to do that. You go back to the Garden of, of Eden. you got Adam and Eve and God very clearly speaks to them and says, you know what, this whole place is yours. You can have it all. Just leave the fruit on that one tree alone. Just leave that alone. And you know who Adam and Eve listened to? The serpent. They chose to listen to the liar, the enemy of God, rather than to listen to and follow God's promise and God's plan. And it's been happening to us ever since. So God goes on and He tells Abram more of His plan by, by saying, you know, Abram, He takes him out one night and says, Abram, take a look at the stars. Try to count the number of stars in the sky. And if you've been ever, ever been somewhere where there are no city lights, you know the stars there are very different than what we see here. There's gazillions of stars. And He says, Abram, that's going to be your descendants. You're not even going to be able to count how many there's going to be. Your family's going to be that large. And Paul says in Romans 4, that at the moment that Abraham believed God, as soon as he trusted God's plan, it says that Abram believed God and it was counted to him as righteousness. I love that because what that says is, Abram said, God, I believe you. And when God counted to Abram as righteousness, in God's mind that was already done. It was taken care of. The promise had already been fulfilled. Abram just hadn't lived long enough to see it happen. In God's mind, he had kept his promise already. Abram was going to have to wait to see the fulfillment of the promise. But to God, that promise had already come to pass. Do you know why? Because when God makes a promise to Abram or to you, God always keeps it. Every time. It might not be the way you want. It might not be what you were expecting. But God keeps every promise that He makes. Because you know what? If even once God didn't keep His promise, God wouldn't be God. He'd be a liar. 
I think about my life. Think about your life. How long has it been since you made a promise that you didn't keep? Disappoint, upset, break people's heart. But you know what? We don't keep all the promises that we make. But God, God keeps every single promise. He did with Abraham and He will with you. And so the question is, do you trust in God's plan and God's timing for your life? Or do you still put your faith and trust in your own plan and your own timing? So even after all that, Abram starts doubting what he's heard from God and and there's a voice in the back of his head that starts pecking away at the back of his mind telling him, you know, Abram, you're not getting any younger. Your wife, she's not getting any younger. If this is really going to happen, buddy, you're going to have to do something about it. So Abram goes, I got a great idea. So he goes to Sarah. He says, Sarah, you know what? You're not getting any younger. I'm not getting any younger. I, I, I think we need to do something about this. And so Abram comes up with this plan to have a child with his wife's younger servant. And so he does. And she becomes with child, and she ends up giving birth. See, God makes promises and He keeps them. And now Abram has just put God in a really tough spot because God has promised Abram's children were going to be multitudes on the earth. And Abram has just taken God's promise but created his own plan. The name of that first child that Abram had through his wife's maidservant was named Ishmael. Ishmael was never supposed to have been born, yet because Abram was foolish and didn't listen to God, God kept his promise because God is a promise keeper. And Ishmael also became the father of multitudes because God keeps his promise. And the descendants of Ishmael are still a huge presence on the earth today. See, here's the thing. Just like Abram, we don't see the long-term consequences of listening to the wrong voices. We just see the moment. We see this little piece of time that we're living in right now today, and we think, well, I've got to do something. That's why it's so crucially important that we learn to know and to hear and to trust the voice of God, that we listen to Him, that we follow Him, and that we trust in His plan and timing, even if we don't like it, even if we don't understand the reason why. See, just like Abram, our living always follows our thinking. We act according to what we think. We act along with our beliefs. Our lives, for better or worse, become the product of our thoughts. That's why the Bible says we're supposed to take captive every thought. It, it always amazes me to read about people who are successful. Whatever the field is, there's a, there's a theme that runs through people who have reached the pinnacle of whatever it is that they do. And one of the things when I read the accounts of those folks that comes through over and over and over is somehow or another the statement that says, I just never believed that I wouldn't. I just never believed I wouldn't make it. I just never believed that it wouldn't happen. I just always knew that it would. I just always knew that I would become what I set out to be. Here's the thing. Their thoughts were successful before their reality was successful. Their thoughts about themselves and their future were successful before their reality showed that they were successful. And think about us as Christians. We've got this future with God. We've got a promise. Even if we don't see it. Because for one who has put our faith and hope and trust in Jesus, who trusts in God's promise because of Jesus, we know who we are, we know whose we are. We know that God has a plan for us, 
And it's a good plan, a plan to give us hope in the future. But do you believe it? Do you live and think like that's true? People in all kinds of different fields live in a way that defines their future even though their reality hasn't caught up. We as Christians should be so far ahead of that. We should know that God has a plan. God has made a promise. And I just have to be obedient and get there to see what it looks like. And because we're not, our life becomes something that we don't want at all. And so maybe this morning you're going, you know, I'm getting a little bit upset right now because I'm kind of unhappy with God. Maybe you're angry. Maybe you're disappointed. Maybe you're bitter. And if you are, you know what? It's okay. God can take it. You're not the first one to do that. You might want to blame God because you're not living the life that you think you deserve. You may not like the life that you have. You may think God gave you the the short end of the stick and you're not happy about it. But let me ask you this question, okay? Be honest with yourself. As you sit here this morning, are you living in God's will? The Bible makes it very clear. It's very simple. Are you living in God's will? If your answer is yes, then let me ask you another question. If you're angry with God and you don't like your life, were you in God's will 20 minutes ago? Were you in God's will 20 hours ago, 20 days ago, 20 weeks ago, 20 years ago? Have you been living in God's will so that you could see the future and the promise lived out in your life as one who is obedient to Him? Because the reality is, if you've not been living in God's will, you may be living the result of your own plans, your own choices, your own sin from 20 years ago. And then we end up just letting that steamroll and the thoughts that are in our mind become worse and worse and more negative and more negative and Satan continues to make progress on us. See, our world today is living with the result of Abraham's choices from thousands of years ago. There is conflict in our world that was never a part of God's plan. And you know why it happened? It came to pass because one man believed God's promise but did not trust in God's plan. And we've got to be careful as Christians that we don't say, I like the promise, I like the good stuff, God, but you know what, I'm going to go ahead and carry it out on my own. You just give me the good ending. It's not the way that it works. God gives us promises and then we have to trust in His plan and His timing. And so before you think it's too late, my whole hope and prayer for you in this series is that you start listening to the voice of God today. Maybe for you right now in this moment. Why? Not because I'm right, but because God always keeps His promises. And if you start doing that, the plan that He has for your future can become a part of your reality. Not some I wish dream. It can become your reality. You can begin living in your future today trusting in God to carry you there. But if you keep listening to the wrong voices, if you keep making the wrong choices, you got it. You're going to continue to live the wrong life. The life that God did not create or intend for you. And you're going to continue to be miserable and disappointed. And you're going to say, God, how come, how come it isn't any different? And sometime down the road, someone's going to talk to you about God's will and are you living in it? So just imagine if today was the day you started listening to God, following God, trusting in God, rather than all of the other noise in the world, the other voices, the garbage, the toxic sludge that the cortisol in our brain is drawn to. That is what so much of our world is made of. Maybe today is the day you need to start making decisions that will affect your life 20 years down the road. One of the things I tell our elders all the time is that we need to be prayerful about making godly decisions today 
that allow God room to work among us in the future. See, God can do whatever He chooses. But you know what? He also allows us to be disobedient to sin and to make poor choices. And our poor choices can limit our options down the road. It might sound like a great decision today, but looking back in hindsight, we can see where that was a really, really bad call. So please hear me about what I'm about to say here now, okay? This next part is more important than whatever your other New Year's resolutions are. It's more important the diet that you've committed to, more important than the gym membership you just bought, the exercise plan you committed to, the, the reading five books a week, whatever it is, this is more important than any of that stuff. Because it's been around for a very, very long time and it holds true today. How do you begin to make new thoughts that lead to new choices in the new year? Because that's really what you're doing with resolutions. There's something in us that innately knows if I'm going to get a different result, I've got to have a different thought. I have to think about myself and my life differently and make different choices so that I can get a different result. That's what resolutions are all about. The problem is that we don't really commit to them and we end up falling off and nothing really happens. And Satan wins again because we just get disappointed. So if you're going to have new thoughts that lead to new choices in the new year, we've got to do what the Bible says. And the Bible says simply this. Take captive every thought. What that means is just like Abraham, you have to do something. You have to do something in accordance with God's will for you. Philippians 4.8 says, Fix your thoughts on what is true and honorable and right and pure and lovely and admirable. Think about things that are excellent and worthy of praise. Fix your thoughts. Decide on them. Choose them. Make an effort for them. Right in the Bible, we are told to think about what's true. So what do you start thinking about? You know what? You start thinking about God's truth for you. You are His beloved child. He sent His only Son to die for your sins that you wouldn't have to die in your sins. And if you're honest with yourself today, you think about and believe and live your life according to a lot of things that simply are not true. What we need to do as Christians is to take captive every thought. The Message Bible puts it this way. Summing it all up, friends, I'd say you'll do best by filling your minds and meditating on things true, noble, reputable, authentic, compelling, gracious, the best, not the worst, the beautiful, not the ugly, things to praise, not things to curse. That word meditate, that's been overtaken by a lot of spiritual practices that have nothing to do with Christian meditation. What God wants us to do is to meditate, to pause, to wait, to ponder and to pray, to talk to God and listen to God, to spend time in the quiet of your own mind doing the very same three things that we talk about every Sunday morning right here, to be in God's Word, to be in prayer, and to be in worship of God. Focusing on those three things sets your mind on the things of God, not on the things of the world. And here's the deal. We all come from the same world. And when we show up on Sunday morning, you don't come here to get more of that. You come here to, to get reset on God. 
And so when we promise you that we're going to focus on God's Word and prayer and worship, you know that when you come here, you're going to hear what God has for you. You're going to be a part of a congregation and a family of people who are going to pray with and for you, and we're going to worship God, the one and only who is worthy of our worship and praise. Amen? What we try to do every Sunday morning is to help you set your thoughts, to retrain your thinking, thinking, to take captive what it is that's going on in very busy, overstretched minds. So the next time you're awakened in the middle of the night by fear or worry, ask yourself, are those thoughts consistent with the Word of God? Are those things that are keeping you awake and making your heart beat fast, are those consistent with the promises that God has for you in His Word? The next time Satan crawls into your head and tries to make sin look better or more appealing than God's will for you, ask yourself, do those things pass the Philippians 4.8 test? Are they true? Are they honorable? Are they right, pure, admirable? Are your thoughts excellent and worthy of praise? Then you know what you do if they're not. It's very simple. You can do this. Take them captive. And what does it mean to take captive? It means to lock them down. Is to mean prevent them from running out on their own. You take them captive, captive, you take control of them, you stop them in their tracks, and you say to Satan, this thought is a lie. I know it's a lie. It isn't from God. It isn't true. It isn't helpful. And it's not true of me. Instead, I'm going to replace it with the thought from God. I'm going to replace it with the thought from God. I'm taking the thought you put in my mind captive, and I'm going to take control of it. And then you replace it with your favorite verse. You replace it with the promise that God makes that you hold on to. Something that encourages you, that lifts you up, that reminds you of who you are on your very best days. Those are the thoughts that you put into your head. And you repeat them over and over and over. And what you will find is that the Word of God, as the thought that's intentional in your mind, drowns out the thoughts of the enemy. You have just taken your thoughts captive. If it's a simple six-word verse, memorize it and repeat it over and over and over, and it will drown out the voice of the enemy and it will fill it with the voice of God. You know, I hear, and this is sad, but I hear people who, who say they're speaking the truth out there in the world all the time. They, they, they present themselves as though they're the voice of truth. And in this age of Facebook and, and, and emails that we're not accountable to, we can hide behind stuff all over the place. We don't actually have to have a real conversation. We can just say something and, and trust that people are going to hear it and believe it. Folks speak their minds in a public forum, and some of them claiming to be Christians, saying that they speak for God, but you know what? Their message is anything but consistent with the character of God. And so you need to know what the character of God is so that when you see it or hear it or read it, you know what? That's wrong. That's a lie. That isn't true. It isn't true about me, and it isn't true about God. We live in a world where there's no accountability, and all you have to do to have an opinion is to say something. And all you've got to do to be critical is to have an opinion. Those voices shouldn't be listened to. Tune them out. Ignore them. Here's the problem. Your brain likes the venom that those things produce. Your brain likes the response that you have when they get you a little bit riled up. And here, just do your own, your own test. You think about Facebook. How many good and uplifting and positive things do you read on your Facebook feed compared to the garbage and the filth and the toxic sludge? It's not even close to an even comparison for most people. And yet we keep going back to it. If they don't pass the Philippians 4.8 test, those voices are coming from the enemy. I mean, here's the truth. Just because you hear it, just because someone says it or you read it, doesn't mean you're supposed to believe it. It is your responsibility to protect your thoughts. 
It is your responsibility to protect your mind. And how can we come alongside and do that for each other? You know what? Honor each other. Speak well of each other. Lift others up. Remind them of who they are. Because the enemy wants us to be deceived. The enemy wants us to think that we're all alone. He wants us to be confused and distracted, to doubt. And and even while every human voice is the voice of a sinful person, we can hear God's voice through each other. And God's voice is always true, it's always trustworthy, it's always pure, and it's always honorable. When you hear voices, and I don't care where they come from, if those voices aren't consistent with God our Father as He presents Himself to us in His Word, if they don't lift up the name of Jesus and if they don't honor His bride, the church, i got news for you, they're not of God. The voices you hear celebrate sin if they honor perversion, if they cause you to slip away from God's will, ignore them. Take them captive and kick them out and replace them with something from the Word of God. See, here's why this is important and why this series matters. The voice that you listen to and follow today is going to be the voice that sets the course for your life tomorrow and moving forward. If you're not listening to God and living for Jesus today, what makes you think you're going to start tomorrow? The voices you choose to listen to set the course of your day, your reputation, and your future. Choose those voices carefully. What voices do you listen to? And what authority have you given them? And if they're not the voice of God, take them captive. And choose to listen to God's voice, God's truth for you instead. Let's pray. God, You have given us brilliant minds. You have given us just incredible abilities to think and to communicate. And it has nothing to do with IQ. It doesn't have anything to do with what we do for a living. God, You have created us to be intelligent people. And all too often, that intelligence is used against you. It's used by the enemy to separate us from you, to draw lines between us, to build walls. And if we don't know your voice, if we don't know your truth, if we don't know who we are to you, we can't tell the difference. God, your word is so clear. Paul helps us to see in so many ways at so many different places and times in your word. Taking captive our thoughts is so critical to living as Your children. So God, my my prayer would be for all of us through the power of Your Holy Spirit. Help us to hear and recognize Your voice. Help us to know when it's You and when it's not. And God, give us a desire to think about You. To think about and, and act according to the things that You would have us think about and to act on. And help us to take take captive every other thought that's from the enemy. Every other thought that's not from You. And God, I just look forward to where it is that we're able to go with You through the rest of this series as we consider how it is that we can take captive our thoughts and to learn to live and to grow as disciples of Jesus. It's in His name that we pray. Amen. And so now here's the thing. Here's my last thought. Here's my challenge for you, okay? This, this is going to be like a serious one. Jesus didn't die so the devil could control your thinking. Think about that. Think about that. Jesus did not die on the cross for your sins so the devil could control your thinking. But you're the one that needs to take your thoughts captive. 
So even if you've never opened up your Bible before, ask a friend to help you. Find a verse that is just easily memorizable. Memorize that verse. Use that verse when there's something that hits your head that you know is not from God for you. Use that verse and take captive your thoughts and go over and over and over until that thought is gone gone because the Word of God has an incredible ability to drown out the voice of the enemy. Take captive every thought. 